0: Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Starr, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe,
1: And I'm Elle.
0: No, you're not. You are. (laughs) Ma'am, no, you're not. (laughs) And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805
1: and on the Tecumloops Te Sekwetmik Territory within the unceded traditional lands of sequemulu And today's text, Legally Blonde, takes place at Stanford University, which is located on Moekma oholne Territory. And the film adaptation takes place at Harvard, which is located on the traditional territories of the Massachusetts peoples. Joe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know we'll get into this, but I'm really interested in the decision to move it from Stanford to Harvard because it really Mm -hmm. expands the fish out of water-iness of Elle's character in a way that's really quite charming.
0: Oh, absolutely. I actually think it's really vital that the film takes Elle out of her comfort zone and puts her among all of these bland, boring people. But also I feel like it's just one of the many decisions that the film makes which improves upon the book. Like there's a large gap, which I'm just like, oh, wow, we did Nerve two weeks ago where the book was really bad and the film's quite good. And here we are again, Brenna.
1: Yes, yes. It's really interesting. We've had a bit of a run of books we were excited to check out because we thought they were going to be fun and fluffy and that mm-hmm. were fluffy, but were in eh, the right way. Yeah. And yeah, not in the fun sense. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll start by talking about Legally Blonde. And Joe, I have a wee question for you. Because Mm -hmm. I don't know if you found anything. I went looking and couldn't find anything. So Legally Blonde, published in 2001, self-published initially by Amanda Brown. And then it gets an official publication in 2003.
0: Mm -hmm. But in
1: 2003, a copyright credit is added for another writer, Bridget Kerrigan. And Mm -hmm. I'm dying to know if there was some kind of copyright conversation or something happened where somebody said that the book had been plagiarized or something like it's odd to add a copyright credit to a second author two years after the book publishes but i couldn't find anything about it
0: yeah it's very odd i mean there's virtually nothing on the wikipedia page for the book right except to note that amanda brown apparently based this on her own background experience right like so this is a Mm -hmm. semi-autobiographical book and I thought it was interesting, too, that it gets self-published in the same year as the film. So I wonder if she had kind of been floating this around or she self-published it and then Hollywood had immediately taken notice. But then, yeah, it gets hit with a copyright claim because the film does so well. And that's why we had to add somebody onto it and, you know, sort of finesse it when it gets officially published in 2003.
1: It's a very odd story. And what's interesting is you'd think with the size of the film so popular, you'd think there'd be more conversation about this. But basically, I mm-hmm. think the novel has been largely forgotten by history.
0: Oh, yes, yes yes, 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 yes. <laughs> did. Yeah, it was shocking to note the number of listeners of the podcast who had no idea that this was a book. They were kind of like, oh, are you just covering the film? And it's like, no, we're reading the book too. Wait, what book? And then of course, people were also confused because there's apparently a series of young adult fiction novels based on the character of Elle Woods, written by Natalie Stanford, to which I said, oh, I don't know anything about that, and also could not get access to those. So folks, we're not talking about that series. We are just talking Talking about this one book by Amanda Brown,
1: And the plot is pretty similar to the film. Mm-hmm. I think all the important changes, and frankly, the things that make the book a fairly dissatisfying read have to do with like the way characters are sketched and yes. general, general writing. Mm-hmm. But the plot is the same. Our protagonist, Mm -hmm. Elle Woods, is a University of Southern California fashion design student or fashion merchandising student, I think. She's a sorority president. She's a homecoming queen. She does well in her classes, but she's not been challenged by this academic experience at all. No. She's really just buying time until she can marry Warner Huntington III. (laughs) And then in a bit of a change from what you'll know from the film version, Warner doesn't just not propose to her at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the book he also springs law school on her she didn't know that he was going away to law school she didn't know any of it and so she's like triply shocked to uh not be getting married be broken up with and have her boyfriend enrolling at law school many many miles away at stanford in northern california Mm -hmm. so l immediately uh takes the lsat and upgrades some of her courses that she needs in summer school at a local community college and enrolls at Stanford Law School. It's just that easy. It's just that easy. (laughs) And you know, from there, the story is pretty similar. She does poorly in her classes at first. But Mm -hmm. in the book, she has this like guardian angel who's providing her with class notes and outlines.
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry just the idea that you would have an outline that would help you to pass classes and or even become a top student just doesn't make any sense to me and I wasn't sure if it was a law school kind of thing but I was like oh if I got somebody's notes that's not actually going to help me unless it literally provides me with test answers but it's very clear that she's not cheating she's just using these outlines instead of having to do the work
1: well and instead of like going to class so my understanding and listeners who have been to law school please correct me but my understanding <laughs> is that sharing outlines is a pretty common practice in law school but it's a way to organize your notes it's not like mm. a stand in for going to class and because law school uses the socratic method there is a lot of note taking it go- sort of gives you a leg up on keeping yourself organized and attuned to what's going on in class if you have these outlines in place like that's always been my understanding. Mm. In this, it's like, you have the outlines, so you don't have to go to class. You only have to do the readings and the subjects that interest you because they're about wills. And one day you might marry a rich person. And <laughs> uh, somehow you, un- you have the exam answers, but not really. You have a good idea of what to study. It's very odd. And I think one mm-hmm. of the things that is much less satisfying about the book is that Elle is actually not very smart in the book.
0: Nope. And she never gets smarter.
1: No. And the story that we're all familiar with from the film is that Elle is this figure who has never been challenged and never been trusted. And the idea is that once she gets to law school and she finds out that she actually can think in this way, you know, she really flourishes and blossoms. And that's sort of what's beautiful about the film. Mm -hmm. So none of that happens in the book. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Nope. She never learns that she is capable of doing this. She continues to find ways to kind of skate by to the point where, like, there's no moment where she realizes, oh, if I apply myself, I can actually do this. It's like, oh, as long as I continue to be fed answers from this guardian angel, and also this one single friend that I make at law school, I can barely skate by. And it's extremely unsatisfying.
1: The other thing that's really unsatisfying and the other way that she never gets to sort of blossom or fulfill the potential that we see in the film is that she really never figures out that Warner is a no. dick until it like was so the last 10 pages of the book. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I kept waiting for this moment where she was going to realize, like, not only does she not realize that he's bad, but she's still actively trying to hook up with him all through this Brooke Wyndham case that they are all working on. So you don't have the satisfaction of her realizing she's smarter than she realizes or that she can flourish if she actually dedicates and applies herself to it. But also, she never realizes that this guy is duping her. So as a result, she just seems as stupid as the other characters believe her to be
1: yes and it sucks because (laughs) the book has the potential to be a satire of both worlds and it never actually sort of delivers on that promise so it Mm -hmm. could be satirizing both the snobby world of the law school that rejects Elle on her appearance and it could be satirizing the sort of wealthy vapid world that she is coming from Mm -hmm. but instead it's almost like Brown doesn't know what to do with either like She pokes fun at both of these worlds, but Elle always returns to the kind of vapid world and never really finds a space for herself in the snobby world. And Mm. it's just kind of wholly uncritical and unsatisfying. And yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't love it. And I think what, something I was saying to Joe before we started, and Joe, you can, I hope you'll respond to this, because we have this ongoing thread of the unlikable character, particularly the unlikable female character on the show.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I found Elle in the book distinctly unlikable,
0: but not
1: in a way that invites sort of critique or response or challenge. I think she is unlikable, but I think Amanda Brown thinks she's likable. So it's not doing anything interesting. It's just unpleasant to read
0: well and i think that this is where the issue of autobiography comes into play because i know nothing about this author except for the fact that this book is based on her experiences attending stanford and that she is also herself blonde and i can't help but feel that the reason that l doesn't become more interesting or that she doesn't grow or expand her horizons in the same way that we see in the film is because brown never did that Mm. it's a really weird book in some ways because there's a lot of missing things that we would normally expect to see like the character arcs aren't there the supporting characters are are present, but they're sort of meaningless. Like, there's this whole thing about these wackadoodle characters that she shares classes with and these faculty members, and none of it pays off. Like, they're just background noise. And then all of a sudden, we get to the court case, which is the exact same... has the exact same resolution as the film, even, like, with the whole perm hair and washing your hair within 24 hours and so on. Like, that is directly lifted. And Mm -hmm. yet... We immediately descend into law jargon, and you're just like, oh, this is Amanda Brown suddenly realizing I can execute the stuff that I learned at law school, and she's very much the blonde showing us that she did learn all of this legalese speak, but that also just makes the book less readable and less accessible because (laughs) we've transitioned into suddenly, oh, we're reading case files from this deposition and interviews and then of course the actual trial itself and you're just like well this isn't more interesting to read suddenly it just feels like you're dropping your legal knowledge on us
1: and of course this is after pages and pages and pages and pages and pages pages of no discussion of the law right Mm -hmm. because Elle spends most of the book avoiding class getting manicures and pedicures um bringing down the GPA of her smart friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very strange way to tell the story. And in many ways, I think my reaction is entirely unfair because the un Reese Witherspooniness mm-hmm. <laughs> of Elle Woods, the novel character, is like it's almost insurmountable
0: yes no absolutely i would have been very interested to see how we reacted to this had we read the book first and then watched the film but the specter of reese witherspoon and just this absolute i mean it is it's a career defining role for witherspoon in this film it's the film that breaks her out of the mold from her teen stuff in the late 90s and it so overshadows everything that the book is doing. I don't know that we ever could have liked the book as much as we enjoy the film. But with that said, even knowing that it was going to be difficult, I tried to put aside Witherspoon's portrayal and just read the book and be like, okay, what is the book doing on its own? And I was like, just isn't well written like the characters don't entirely work yes we have this unlikable protagonist but it also feels like brown doesn't know how to write her well like i'm not gonna pretend that this was a hard read i blasted through it in a couple of days but i Mm -hmm. also spent the entire time just saying hmm there's a lot of missed opportunities in here
1: yeah it's interesting you know i read a bit about her background and it's it's clear that this is not just autobiographical, but this is like, you know, like Mary Sue type fan fiction of her own life. Like, Mm -mm. you know, her dad is a lawyer. Her mom is an art gallery owner. She went to a party school. She went to Arizona State University and then to Stanford. She never actually graduated Stanford, which is perhaps why we only get Elle's journey through first year. And in fact, she spent most of her time in law school, writing funny letters to her sorority sisters back home about how much she didn't like the people at law school. So it's hey, like,
0: okay. oh, hmm. okay.
1: Um, and I think that, you know, people are allowed to write what they want to write. Like, I'm not oh, going to sure. say they yeah, yeah. can't. But it's a hard thing if you can't be self-critical about those experiences
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: it seems to me that Brown is not capable of being self-critical about those experiences.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I found it so... It's not even light and fluffy. It's just light. And I think in a way it provides a really good foundation or like a good set of bones for someone who... I'm gonna say it, knows more of what they're doing and how to tell a better story. Like, this is a great premise, but it's not well executed, which is why I think then we turn to the film and we say, oh, here we go. People who actually know how to tell a story and develop characters properly, and they manage to then turn the promise of a good story into an actual good tale.
1: It doesn't surprise me that there was a bidding war. Like, you can see that as you said, the bones, like this is a, it's a fun story. It's a quirky story. It's not something we've seen before. I can see why it was particularly attractive to this director because of his body of work and it's just like i i get all of that mm-hmm. and i'm also okay if we just forget the book ever existed. like i'm not even sure i have anything else to say about it joe and this might be like the shortest yeah book discussion in the history of the show but like i don't have anything else to say
0: no me neither i'm fully happy to transition one of over. the reasons i wanted to come here tonight was to discuss our future of course i plan on running for office someday Warner. i think we should break up what? Oh. If I'm going to be a senator, I need someone serious.
1: I'm seriously in love with you. I love you. Liar!
0: This is the type of girl that Warner wants to marry. A law student. Going to Harvard is
1: the only way I'm going to get the love of my life back. For my admissions essay, Action! I'm going to tell all of you why I'm going to make an amazing lawyer. I feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. I object! Her
0: list of extracurricular activities is impressive. She was in a Ricky Martin video. Aren't we always looking for diversity? Welcome to Harvard.
1: Don't be scared. Everyone will love you.
0: No uh, I'm sorry, are you here to see me? I go here. You got into Harvard Law? What, like it's hard? i got a phd from berkeley mba from wharton i've been deworming orphans in somalia two weeks ago i saw cameron diaz at fred siegel and i talked her out of buying this truly heinous
1: angora sweater
0: (laughs) malibu barbie lives
1: i've come to join your study group our group is full oh is this like an rsvp thing no it's like a smart people thing i give her two more weeks what is this we're betting to see how much longer you're gonna last you're not smart enough sweetie i'll show you how valuable el woods can be mgm pictures presents you have a resume it's pink.
0: And it's Senate. I think it gives it a little something extra.
1: A comedy about
0: knowing who you
1: are. You think she just woke up one morning and said, I think I'll go to law school today. And showing what you've got. We're defending Brooke Window. You can buy her exercise tips on infomercials.
0: Wait! Exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people just don't shoot their husbands. You're fired. What? I have new no representation. Reese
1: Witherspoon.
0: Do you remember when we spent those four amazing hours in the hot tub after winter formal? This is so much better than that.
1: Legally Blonde.
0: Oh, look how cute. There's like a judge in everything. for Brown! Okay. So the film is directed by Robert Luketic, and it is obviously adapted from Brown's novel, but she is not involved in the screenplay. That credit goes to Karen McCoola and Kirsten Smith. And... I mean, I imagine a lot of people know this cast, but we'll run through them very quickly. So, as we mentioned, Reese Witherspoon as L, Luke Wilson as a new character Emmett, who is a third-year associate who works for Professor Callahan, who is played by Victor Garber, Canadian <gasps> queer. Break represent. my heart,
1: Victor Garber. You're supposed to be Canada's dad,
0: <laughs> and he is for part of it. He seems sweet. Yeah. Um, we can talk about the yeah the grossness that accompanies mm. the end of the film which i feel is very out of place but okay we have uh matthew davis as warner and selma blair as vivian his new fiance and then another new character added to the film is jennifer coolidge as well, i guess technically the character is the same with a slightly different name but she has a completely different story in the book she's french for no good reason mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. sure <laughs> And then rounding out the cast, we have Holland Taylor as Professor Stromwell, another queer representation. So that's exciting that like the two sort of maternal paternal figures in this movie are queer actors. And finally, Allie Larder as Brooke Wyndham. And uh, yeah, you know, every time I have to talk about Allie Larder, I always feel bad because I like a lot of the things that she's done. I used to like the actress and then it's turned out that she's actually like a racist garbage person. So boo.
1: Oh no. Oh, no. okay.. Yeah.
0: So the one thing that I didn't realize when I last watched this is that Chutney, the person who is eventually revealed to be the killer, she is played by Linda Cartellini, which was like, oh, ah, hey, love her. okay.
1: <laughs> Freaks and geeks alumni love it. The mm-hmm. other thing I want to point out, Joe, is that we have seen this screenwriter pair before because they co-wrote Ella Enchanted and uh, okay,
0: former episode.
1: Mm-hmm. And another former episode, Kirsten Smith, is the Kirsten Smith who wrote both the novel and the TV show Trinkets.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Hmm.
0: It's always nice when we get to do kind of repeat ones.
1: Well, yeah, and it was one of those things that I actually, I mean, normally I leave all the this part of things to you, but I was like, why is the movie so much better than the book? Who wrote this movie? And then I was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, no, this story checks out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that I end up really appreciating about the film is that it's not just as we mentioned when we were talking about the book, you know, the film does a lot of things better in terms of Elle's arc and helping her to realize that she can overcome adversity. But to me, the film kind of has two messages. One is that you shouldn't make assumptions about people based on their looks or their background because they will surprise you. And the other big thing about the film is that it's about the solidarity of female friendship.
1: hmm hmm Yeah, it's huge. And so, you know, that female friendship thread is in the book, but mm-hmm. it's much less carefully developed because it takes so long for Elle to exhibit any kind of kindness to any of the people around her, but especially to Vivian, right? Like that plot line takes so long to unthread. Whereas because Elwood's in the film, figures Warner out so much earlier, we can get rid of the competition and just focus on the friendship much, much earlier in the text.
0: hmm. Yeah, uh, I had forgotten how early it happens. I think it's just before the halfway point. So folks, it's very
1: satisfying if you've just read the book. <laughs>
0: Like when we get sure. to the Halloween party, she she yep. arrives in the bunny costume, which to me was like, oh, right, we did this. And then we did it in Bridget Jones's diary where it's like people were told to wear something inappropriate to a party. Apparently, this was a thing that we were doing a lot back in the early 2000s. <laughs> but yeah, she shows up and she, you know, she she's doing the like trying to get back with Warner thing. And in the film, he says, oh, well, you're not smart enough to do mm-hmm. callahan's uh summer internship like you're not going to get the top grades in this class like i don't you know sweetie i still don't know what you're doing here and i do love the repeated use of Pooh bear as a kind of yeah. oh whenever you hear that that's like the signifier that this dude is garbage and uh-huh. i love that he says this and el just goes oh, I thought that we got into the same school and took the same LSATs. And the fact that you don't acknowledge that means you will never. And she just leaves and immediately goes and dedicates herself wholly to proving him wrong by basically investing in herself. And I love it.
1: I love it, too. I really love it, too. You know, there is a nice part of the book Warner is much less successful in law school in the book than Mm -hmm. he is in the film. And I did like that. That was like the one piece that I missed in the film version. But I think in general, the payoff of Elle coming to her own defense early Mm -hmm. and often uh, more than makes up for that. Because it's much more satisfying to see Elle succeed in the film than it is to see Warner fail in the book.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and i i sorry, I was remiss, and I didn't mention the character of Dorky David, who is played by Oz Perkins, who, uh, sidebar, is now a very well-known horror director and the son of Anthony Perkins. Mm. But in the book, this character is later revealed to be her guardian angel, and it comes to absolutely nothing. You're just like, cool. Nothing. I guess it's a she reveal. She doesn't even, like,
1: go out for coffee with him. Nothing. Mm-mm. They don't become friends. They no, do nothing.
0: No, it's, it's just something that happens in the book. And that's, I guess, a thing. Whereas here in the film, we get a lot more of a little incidents. Like, I'm not going to pretend as though Dorky David becomes a huge figure in the movie, but... We see moments of kindness where he helps Elle get a book that she can't reach. And then she later returns a favor by fibbing that he's an amazing lover and a great guy so that he can maybe uh, reconnect with a couple of women that he's trying to court. And it's little moments like this where you say, it doesn't have to be an overwhelming B subplot to still Mm -hmm. have this kind of nice payoff. Like the film... Knows when and where to invest energy in doing character development and having Elle show these little moments of growth
1: yes and I think you know just to circle back to the the importance of female friendship one of the things that I found really frustrating about the book is Amanda Brown has this just knee-jerk rejection of like feminism as a concept Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she's absolutely scathing in her depiction of the campus feminists and like yes it's such an easy joke right Mm -hmm. like it's it has always been a really easy joke since the 80s to poke fun at like the 70s style campus feminists and Mm -hmm. it's tired and it's hackneyed and it was tired and hackneyed in 2001 Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but i get it it's it's fertile ground but you know you can just see that amanda Brown as a writer is not particularly actually interested in the other female characters yeah. or their own growth. Whereas in the film, we get these great moments where many of the women, you know, like Jennifer Coolidge is fantastic in this role and mm-hmm. her, her character's arc is adorable. And the kind of thing that the book would just be wholly uninterested in, in sharing with us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still the campus feminism represented by Enid, who is played by Meredith Scott Lynn, and she's the kind of... Slightly more traditional depiction that we would expect, like maybe the girl who doesn't shave her armpits. Uh, Mm -hmm. It doesn't go that far, but she's very, you know, I I will never forget the conversation that Enid has with Warner at the Halloween party where Mm -hmm. she talks about the winter O-Vester, because I always think about that whenever we have semester talk at (laughs) post-secondary.
1: Which, by the way, is a conversation that Brown actually overheard. Hmm. She went to a meeting of a group called the Women of Stanford Law, and she says, this is a direct quote, okay, you ready? hmm I went to the meeting, and these were not women. These were Eww. angry people. The person who was leading it spent three years at Stanford trying to change the name from Semester to Ovester. I started laughing at them, and then I realized everyone else in the room took it seriously, so I made no friends there. These oh. were not women,
0: she wow. says. Wow. I mean, you can you can see that kind of disinterest running throughout the book, because even there's, there's a lot of fat shaming. There's a Uh. lot of Yeah, like this is not a woman because she doesn't dress pretty. She doesn't dress well enough. She's fat. She's frumpy. But like, it's really dismissive of anybody who isn't thin and blonde. To the point where Elle actually has a blonde manifesto that she advocates for, like, throughout all of her classes and stuff. And it could be a joke, or it could be, like, a sly observation that, yes, blondes are often underestimated or mistreated because they, you know, we, we get a Marilyn versus Jackie joke in the film, and that feels smart. In the book, it just feels defensive, like... yes. I have been called a blonde, and I'm smart, and everybody else sucks.
1: Yes, yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. I was just, I think I will take, these were not women, these were angry people to my grave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, that is telling on yourself, Amanda Brown. Woof. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I will say rewatching the film, I wish that Enid got a bit of the same treatment that the dorky david character gets because we don't mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel authentic at the end when everyone is watching Elle give her valedictorian speech upon graduation and they're all very excited for her. and i'm like why is enid excited yeah there's there was no moment where they actually came together whereas the moment with vivian in the film is revealed to be like they bond over how warner is bad because yes. you know he got waitlisted and he's kind of garbagey and then we see vivian have to process the fact that she underestimated L. you know there's that horrible moment where she sided with professor callahan after he misuses his authority and his power to come on to Elle and Vivian just assumes, oh, well, that's why Elle doesn't have to get coffee, because she's sleeping with the faculty. And then she has to process that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it is Luke Wilson's character Emmett coming to Elle's defense in that scene. But -hmm. it's also Vivian, like, relearning everything that she has thought about, like how the world is structured. And it's right, it's a really good little moment of like, business, like Selma Blair does a really good job in that moment of showing you know, regret and shame and Mm -hmm. this kind of sense of relearning. It's it's a surprisingly rich little scene when they're preparing for the trial in that moment. Yeah, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed that, actually.
0: I mean, it's hard, right? Because Reese Witherspoon... Mm as we said this is an iconic role for her this movie was absolutely huge really launched her career as an a-list star on her own you know previously she had done a lot of work where she was part of an ensemble like uh, fear or cruel intentions uh, this was her establishing herself as a bankable a-list star in her own right she's so fantastic but everybody else in this movie is also fantastic. And yep. yeah, I would say this movie doesn't work if you don't have the kind of icy bitchiness of a Selma Blair. And she is so expert at delivering these withering looks. You know, the way she wears a sweater across the shoulders, like she's mm-hmm. so prim and proper with the pearls. And it's a joy to watch that iciness melt over the course of the film, but Blair is never anything less than captivating in this
1: movie. 100% agreed.
0: And then Matthew Davis is so easy to hate in this. Like, <laughs> even Ali Larder, it's more than a glorified cameo, but it's not a huge role until really like the last act of the film. And the camaraderie that she immediately establishes with Elle, it's really just enjoyable like all of the female characters in this movie really pop.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Is um is Reese Witherspoon in the sequel? I never saw it.
0: Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I oh, I was okay. joking I with Brian sure. last night because he watched it with me and I feel like the fundamental mistake that this first film makes is not ending the movie at the end of her first year because then Yes. they end up in trouble because they don't have anywhere left to cover in law school so we follow elle as she works in a law firm and i mean the film is just less interesting it doesn't have anything sort of new to say so we can just put her into more adult situations and Mm. it's too repetitive and not very well done like the writing is actually quite bad and then the movie ends with elle driving past the white house and giving the audience a wink and that's where the proposed third film is supposed to go And it's been in development hell for a couple of years, but it's supposed to be happening. Like Reese Witherspoon still tweets about it on the regular. It really reminded me the trajectory is similar to like Miss Congeniality and its sequel where the first film is beloved. Albeit it has not aged spectacularly. It's of its time in some ways, yes. and then uh-huh. the sequel just absolutely drops the ball and is kind of a cataclysmic failure. And then we talk about a third film, but it's like, oh, we can't end up in pitch perfect territory.
1: Does she stay with um, what's his face in the second movie?
0: Luke Wilson. Um, yeah. I think so. I can't recall honestly. I've repressed a lot of it because that movie's really, really <laughs> real bad.
1: Okay, and then there was a directed DVD. Uh, movie as well, which obviously I never saw, but I did no, see. I
0: don't think they're involved in that at all.
1: I did see Legal Evil on the musical.
0: Yeah. So we teased that we had both actually already seen this. And it was funny because when we get to the trial and we do the whole thing with Brooke making her pool boy wear a thong, and then the big reveal is that, oh, he's secretly gay and he ends up inadvertently outing himself when he's being cross examined by Emmett. I turned to Brian and I just went, oh, this is gay or European, the song from the yes. musical.
1: <laughs> gay or European? It's hard to guarantee. Is he gay or European?
0: Well, hey, don't look at me.
1: They bring their boys up different in those charming foreign ports.
0: They play peculiar sports. In shiny shirts and tiny shorts. Gay or foreign fella? The answer could if take weeks. Things like Travella on their coast and humble cheeks a European, so many shades of gray. Depending on the time of day, the French go either way Is he gay or European? Oh there, there, right
1: there, look at that condescending smirk See it on every guy at work That is a metro amateur jerk That guy's not gay, I say no way That, that is the elephant in the room Those developments you presume That a haughty and that costume is automatic Ironically,
0: chronically. Starting with Lennox and then. Gay, socially gay, socially gay, again, again.
1: Gay, he came all European.
0: Stylish, and relaxed. He gay or European.
1: I think his chest is wax. They bring their boys up different. There, it's culturally diverse. It's not a fashion curse. If he wears a kilt or bears a purse, Gay or just exotic. I really like the musical i think it's very cute i don't always love a film to musical adaptation because mm-hmm. i think that's a really hard thing to do it's a very different mode of storytelling but yes. i think this one i mean the film is broad enough that it mm-hmm. moves to the stage fairly seamlessly and i really enjoy it and the soundtrack is a banger you should download mm-hmm. it it's great
0: <laughs> yeah it is a very fun adaptation because i think it embodies the same spirit that the film has like as I mentioned, there's a couple of things that have not aged well, you know, like the depiction of queer men in this film, mm-hmm. pretty abysmal. I think it uh-huh. was actually abysmal in 2001, if we're being really honest, you know, broad mm-hmm. stereotypes aplenty. But it's also one of those things that I'm really willing to forgive because the heart is in the right place. And the jokes are still really, like the, the moment where the guy ends up outing himself, and then the boyfriend stands up and gets, like, outraged and storms out. You know, it's dumb, and it's kind of offensive, but it's also sort of funny.
1: It's sort of funny. And it's—there's something about the earnestness with which that line is delivered that still cracks me up, I gotta say.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, even the infamous bend and snap a hair and nail <laughs> montage— It's so patently ridiculous that all of these women just get into it. It becomes a kind of music video. And, you know, like, we could talk about the lack of representation in terms of, like, women and people of color in this movie. Like, this is the only scene that we actually see anyone who's a darker shade of tan.
1: Absolutely. And that's not
0: great. But this is also very, like, oh, it's 2001. This is what we were doing. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But the scene is also kind of so ridiculous and over the top. It's delightful. So, again, mm-hmm. I just end up forgiving the film for it.
1: I think we forgive the film a lot too because Reese Witherspoon is intensely likable. I mean, mm-hmm. that's sort of her brand, right? Being yes. likable. Um, mm-hmm. But she is intensely likable as Elle. And I think we almost forgive the film. We might hold it to more account if it didn't seem so sort of earnest and genuine and lovable in its. Yes buffoonery (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. absolutely yeah like if this movie was stumbling in other areas i know you and i would be coming down harder on it but i won't lie i watched the movie and i had a big grin on my face the whole time Mm -hmm. because it's just so much fun like i had a ball rewatching this and yeah it's very 2001 in a lot of ways but i'm willing to cut it some slack because it brings me a great deal of joy
1: 100% agree
0: All right. Well, shall we play some YA bingo
1: with this? Yeah. I think part of the problem with not coming down hard on some of those things, Joe, is we have less to say, but that's all right.
0: (laughs) That's completely fine.
1: (laughs) Bingo. Not a good bingo. Okay. Okay. So obviously coincidental classes, particularly (laughs) in the book, the only class she goes to is the one that ends up helping her succeed in the internship. It's very (laughs) convenient. (laughs) Yes, just a touch. Um, We've got, I think, a couple of examples of perfect dates. We've got perfect dates gone wrong, but also... Mm -hmm. One of my favorite scenes, I have to say, in the book is the lunch that she goes out to with Christopher lawyer.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Because he doesn't make a move on her. Yes, (laughs) I'm so happy. I was expecting it the whole time. Instead, it's like he genuinely takes an interest in her for who she is, and I really appreciated that. Especially... Mm when Victor Garber broke my heart later on that same day.
0: Yeah, and it feels so unnecessary. Like, we haven't really touched on it, but the Emmett character that Luke Wilson plays is an additional piece that the film invents, right? Because we need an alternative love interest to combat Werner, but it also Mm -hmm. means that in order to prove that Emmett is a good guy, we turn Professor Callahan into a villain.
1: Made me so sad. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well because victor garber is such an immensely likable actor right yes. That you don't want to see him play these kinds of roles he really is such a dad figure
1: he is he really is mm. anyway okay um we've got uh, uh the road trip when they mm-hmm. go and collect evidence um which right. also i think there are some perfect deity moments in the film version as oh sure Emmett and Elle get to know each other in those scenes mm-hmm. uh obviously musicality for the film I'm yep. thinking particularly of the bend and snap sequence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to give a hollow romance to the love affair with Warner. It's less relevant to the film because Elle catches on so quick, but it's extremely important to remember that right. Warner is garbage in the book because L <laughs> uh, doesn't.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to put in some queer secondary characters mm-hmm. more specifically for the film. Uh we do have a dead body that drives the entire last oh, act yeah. even though it really like we never see Brooks' husband on screen but we hear so much about the body and who was where the and blood. so on
1: covered in blood
0: yeah uh and then you can fight me on this but i was thinking borrowed time because l only has a certain amount of time in which to either get warner back or to succeed and prove him wrong and then of course we also have the ticking time bomb of the case that ends both the book and the film so l really has to figure things out so that she can get brooke off
1: well, and I think we're in borrowed time anytime we're on an academic schedule, too, because right. that's taking away in the background as well. So, yeah, no, I buy that.
0: Yeah, but uh, overall, we didn't do very well here.
1: No, we didn't. And it's interesting because, like, you'd think there would be some house porn for, um like, Elle's home and stuff, but... Mm-hmm. Eh, nah. I did tell Joe before we started recording that I'm tired of rich people. <laughs>
0: which is fair yeah Uh, (laughs) don't worry the the next full episode that we're gonna touch on is exclusively dealing with like poor swedish people so you're good to go
1: (laughs) finally my demo
0: (laughs) we just had to go to sweden to get away from the rich people so, Brenna, if people wanted to talk to you about how amazing Reese Witherspoon is in this role, uh, how would they get in touch with us and you?
1: I would also accept you sharing your favorite Reese Witherspoon reels with me, because as a big proponent of mom internet, I come across a lot of those. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. Joe, where do they find you?
0: I am at B on my remote, and that's the letter B.
1: And if you want to get in touch with both of us, it's at HKHSpod on the Twitters or on the hashtag HKHSpod. And if you have something longer for us, like perhaps you're reading towards book club, for example, Mm -hmm. you can find us HKHSpod at gmail.com.
0: Yeah. And folks, reminder, we are reading Paul Zindel's The Pig Man and you have two more days to get any kind of feedback or responses in. So, uh, yeah, make it snappy. toot sweet.
1: Get it in, get it in, get it in. <laughs> um, Joe. hmm Well, our, our, our next mini-sode is the book club. So, you know, mm-hmm. get on it, people. Um, but our next full-length episode is horrible.
0: <laughs> yeah we've actually recorded this one in advance so this is fun <laughs> that we get to know exactly what we're going to say about it and, folks we are reading let the right one in which is the aforementioned swedish poor person book and then we're going to be talking about the <laughs> swedish adaptation as well as the american remake which is let me in and uh we're just going to do some content warning specifically for the book because there is a attempted sexual assault and yeah quite a bit of pedophilia so this is less obvious it's only kind of inferred in the swedish film and almost non-existent in the american remake but that book is a rough read and it's also excessively long
1: yes <laughs> Yes, it's all of those things. Um, It's actually, I think the episode is good and we get into some really interesting conversations about adaptation, but a heads up that it's a rough read and it might not be for you right now and that's okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. If that's the case, then you can always just come and listen to us talk about it or, you know, circle back at a later date.
1: Yay. Okay, Joe. So, uh, yeah, I guess the only other thing to mention is that after The Pigman by Paul Zindel, we are going to be reading George by Alex Gino, or if you've purchased it recently, uh, Melissa by Alex Gino. So we will be reading that book club next if you want to get a head start.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So folks, you got things to read, things to watch, lots of things to do. Get on it. Get on it. Uh,
1: (laughs) And until next time, I will see you on the page.
0: And I will see you on the screen. Actually, my, my surprise in watching this, which I never realized before, is that Chutney, the bad daughter of the victim that Brooke is a cruise-